for most people, we stare at our phones all day and we walk in, we're waiting in line at the bank and we're staring at our phones and we don't ever recognize or realize the argument that's happening three feet away from us between a teller and an individual. People who have been in law enforcement, people who have been in the military, take that in and recognize that. They're scanning for threats all the time. They're in kind of a ready position. And so my wife's picked up on that over the years. My kids have picked up on that. And it's something that I kind of tried to cultivate and teach to other people. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Christopher Healy, owner and CEO of The Secure Entrepreneur. Christopher founded the company to help business owners improve their fiscal health by changing their habits to eliminate risk and reduce exposure to fraud. Christopher is a Texas-licensed private investigator and former special agent with the Department of Homeland Security. He has more than 15 years of experience in federal law enforcement as a top-secret clearance holder conducting large-scale, multi-defendant fraud investigations and high-risk tactical operations both domestically and overseas. As a special agent, Healy served in his agency's major fraud and corruption unit and testified in state and federal criminal proceedings as a subject matter expert on telefraud. He has been a featured speaker at law enforcement industry conferences and training academies, as well as an overseas representative on behalf of the U.S. government. Christopher's criminal investigative work has been featured in national media profiles, most notably his work investigating India-based call center networks targeting American citizens. This is the subject of a Campside Media serial podcast chronicling his team's identification, arrest, and extradition of the godfather of the IRS telephone scam. Listen in for some great stories about Christopher's journey to entrepreneurship, along with great takeaways to help you protect yourself and your business. Hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of having Christopher Healy, the owner and chief executive officer of the Secure Entrepreneur with us today. Thanks for joining us today, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. But in order to give our listeners an idea of who you are and your path to founding and being the founder of The Secure Entrepreneur. How did you get here? Yeah, so my background as a criminal investigator with the federal government. So I was, for about 15 and a half years, a special agent with Department of Homeland Security. And in my career, I spent a fair amount of time as a subject matter expert on telefraud and elder fraud in particular, overseas call centers, preying largely on American elderly. And so I headed a team of investigators that looked into these sort of elder fraud sort of networks where they were exploiting via telephone calls that were government impersonation calls, exploiting individuals in the United States. And over the last seven or eight years, I've dealt with thousands of victims of these sort of telephone scams. My team has taken down dozens of individuals, both in the United States and overseas, who were involved in these sort of scams. And what I started to see was that we were working from a reactive perspective in the federal government, and that we as special agents and prosecutors could only do so much to bring justice, but that oftentimes the individuals who were the victims of these crimes 
could have been saved had they had an ounce of prevention, had they had somebody who was acting proactively on their part instead of reactively. And so as the husband of an entrepreneur, co-owner of another business where we're in the health and wellness space, I saw a lot of that same sort of ability for these call centers to exploit and victimize people in the entrepreneur space. And so when I left the federal government, my intention was to be more proactive than reactive and to open a business that would allow people the opportunity to become better well-versed in what these scams are and how they can protect themselves from them. Yeah, I think it's very, very much needed for sure. And I think you have a really, really interesting background. And I want to, before we kind of dive into what you're doing today, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of those experiences that you had previously, right? And I will tell you, when I was reading about you and saw that you were a special agent on the U.S.-Mexico border, I had to ask you, what are some of the craziest things you've seen? And the reason why I'm asking is my wife and I, and then turned on my kids during the pandemic, we got turned on to the show to catch a smuggler. Mm. And man, it's like captivating. And yeah. you know, when I hear you're on the border, what are some of the craziest things you saw while working on that detail? Yeah. So I spent the better part of a decade on the border. And I lived about six miles from the US-Mexico border. So where I lived was in the Rio Grande Valley. And if you watch what's happening on the news and you see what's happening with immigration, anytime that there's just boatloads of people coming across the border and that sort of thing, you're seeing the Rio Grande Valley. You're seeing McAllen, Harlingen, and Brownsville. And that's where I lived and worked. And Primarily what I did when I was down there was investigations involving public corruption. And so when you have the cartels operating just south of the U.S. border, they manage everything. They're in charge of everything and they are like a government entity. They have their own security forces and their own structure and they have their own radio networks and they operate very much like a public entity. So they manage everything and they have a boatload of money to spend on making sure that their products get across the border. So I worked a lot on the public corruption task force trying to track down and stop corrupt border patrol agents and corrupt customs and border protection officers who are allowing stuff through. And probably the craziest thing that I was involved in, and I say crazy because people think this is not real life, but if you've ever seen the movie Training Day with Denzel Washington, I forget who else, Ethan Hawke, there was a group of guys who were corrupt police officers who were, you know, ripping off drug dealers and selling the proceeds. Well, that is exactly like a case that I investigated. My team was part of the Public Corruption Task Force, and we investigated a group called the Panama Unit. And you can look up, you can Google the Panama Unit, you can look up on Rolling Stone Magazine, did a a very large feature about this. You can read all about it, but it was a group of Hidalgo County Sheriff's deputies and Mission Police Department employees that were ripping off Gulf Cartel shipments of dope and selling it to other dopers. And these guys were living like exactly like training day. I mean, they were taking trips to Vegas and they were like spending money in expensive steakhouses and doing all that stuff. And my team was part of the group that took them down. And so it actually ended up with about 15 people going to jail up to and including the sheriff of Hidalgo County, Texas, a guy named Lupe Lupe Trevino. So, yeah, that was probably the craziest thing. Not long after that, my wife said, I think it's time for us to transfer. Yeah, I mean, listen, the things that I saw I've seen on that show, even so far as They have watches out with binoculars watching the border to see who's working, what's going on. And some of the stories that they tell people crossing the border don't even know that they have stuff in certain cases. Obviously, there are bad actors who are rightfully, knowingly bringing stuff over the border. But then they were telling they show on that show how they take really high power magnets and they'll just find an unsuspecting car or person and 
kind of magnetize it to the bottom of the car and get it on the other side. And they have somebody following them who's not causing any issues so they don't get in trouble. And it's so yeah. I think what you're telling me is how to cut your smuggler is 100% real. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really going on. It's crazy. To be fair, I have not watched that show, but I've watched there's Border Wars is okay. one that I've watched. And if you've seen that, on, I think it was on Nat Geo. But that like, that's, some where, of the guys, that's where to catch a smuggler's on. Also. Yeah. So if it's a spinoff or it's similar to that, some of the guys like on Border Wars, I know and have worked with. Like I've okay. actually like done operations with those guys. And so there were times. This is wild. My wife and I were watching Border Wars one time and there was a Border Patrol agent who was being interviewed and I was watching it. And I was like, that guy, I have an open case on that guy. That, <laughs> that guy's crooked as hell. And so I told my wife that I won't name names, but that guy ended up going to jail and is no longer a Border Patrol agent. But he was a featured, uh, you know, he was featured by the oh film crew uh, talking about like, you know, I'm standing my post here because of what's happened on the other side of the border. And I'm like, I, I, I know what you're doing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's crazy. And now yeah, he's on TV. Everybody thinks he's this great guy. He, he was a hero. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw some crazy stuff down there. And I, I mean, some of the cross border shootings and the things that you see and hear about it is in many ways still very much the Wild West. There are incursions by you'll have a fight on the south side of the river what we call the mike side the mexico side right. and uh, you'll have a gunfight that'll spill over into the u.s and things like that happen oh, you just don't you don't hear about it but they're living six miles from the border you sure do yeah well thank you for your service by the way it's very Absolutely. important to honor our veterans and people who serve this country because i appreciate it we appreciate it here for sure thanks so, so much as you mentioned earlier you know one of your biggest moments was your dismantling of the largest telefraud scam in the u.s I know you touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us what that was all about and how the outcome came to be? How you ended up really taking down the bad actors there? Yeah. As I said, I worked in the Rio Grande Valley for a while. And as I was there in my office, we had a handful of agents and we kind of rotated through what was called a duty rotation. So you would be the guy who was taking in all the incoming complaints on a given week. And one week when I was the duty agent, a number of complaints came in from individuals who were Indian nationals who were in the U.S. as H-1B visa holders, and they were reporting to us, a number of victims came forward and reported to us that they had received telephone calls from somebody claiming to be from the Department of Homeland Security who threatened them with deportation if they didn't pay fines, immediately pay fines. And so these people were told to go and buy green dot gift cards and then to read off the numbers on the back after they'd loaded them. And then after doing so, they realized this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like how the government typically acts. And so they started to report those things. And so I started to receive these complaints. I started to look into it thinking maybe we had a corrupt DHS employee who was exploiting a list of intending immigrants or H-1B visa holders. And what actually came of it was so much greater. It turned into a six-year-long investigation where ultimately my team indicted 61 individuals in the U.S. and India for their roles in this massive government impersonation case where they were calling, the same call centers were calling people and threatening deportation. They were calling, if you ever received a call between 2013 and 2016 from quote unquote, the IRS. Yeah. Those are the I, people I got that one I the other after. day, as a matter yeah. of fact. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They realized that they could exploit people in the United States by impersonating the federal government. So they impersonated the FBI, the IRS, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, DHS, DEA, Social Security. And my team of about four or five guys through some painstaking work, both on the U.S. side and overseas, were able to identify this entire network. And ultimately, in October of 2016, we indicted, like I said, 61 individuals wow. and entities. And we did a nationwide sweep across eight states in the United States and picked up 20, 
four people domestically. And cumulatively, those people, every one of them was found guilty and cumulatively are doing 211 years in jail for their role in that scam. It's so. crazy. I wish that was all we had to worry about because they're still around because I'm still getting these calls. Actually, the other yeah. day, they're getting smart now because they added into their uh, whole shtick. They added in, you're on a recorded line. So yes. when, when they called me the other day, I said, oh, I'm so happy this is on a recorded line because I said, what I'm going to do is under the Freedom of Information Act, I'm going to ask you for a copy of the recording and then collect. They hung up. You, click, know? Yeah. you know, it's like crazy. You well, know? you're doing the right thing when you do that, because <laughs> what's happening is they're calling from call centers overseas and they're typically using voice over IP technology to make these calls, which costs them money. And so anytime I get one of these calls, I try to keep them on the line as long as possible <laughs> because that, it just it does two things. One, it prevents them from calling somebody else who might be more likely to fall victim to this, an elderly person, for instance. The average age of my victims was 73. So a lot oh, of folks who are, who are a little bit older are the ones who are falling for this. So keeping them on the line keeps them from victimizing someone else, but it also costs them money. So I absolutely recommend messing with them if you get the, the opportunity. Oh, now I could tell my kids that I even have a valid yeah. reason for keeping them on and playing yeah. around with them a little bit. So without a doubt, you know, as you know, as we just discussed, this continues to be an issue, right? So yes, are there things in terms of this telefraud in particular that individuals or entrepreneurs in general can do to protect themselves from this type of telephone? fraud other yeah. than playing around and having a good time for a few minutes and costing the money <laughs> right yeah no and i mean that is a valuable service for other people but to protect yourself what i always tell folks is these scammers rely far more on psychology than technology and of course technology is an important part of the scheme they have to use voice over ip technology they have to be fairly computer literate but the reality is these people are very very good at what they do they make thousands of calls a day they're practiced in their scripts. They're practiced in the, in the verbal judo of getting somebody to believe and get under the ether. So it's really a psychological game. And the same sort of rules apply to this that would apply to sales. If you've ever had a high-pressure salesperson who really is trying to get you to act on the principles of scarcity, on the principles of urgency, the same thing is true in these sorts of situations where it's a scammer. They operate exactly the same way. So do the same thing you would do with a high-pressure sales offer, which is pump the brakes. If it doesn't feel right in your gut, if it doesn't feel like it's it's likely, take your foot off the gas and don't do something that in the moment that you can't take back. Don't give information that you can't give back. Don't give money. Certainly don't give money that you can't take back and pump the brakes. Yeah, I think that's wise. And I know that a bunch of retailers, for our argument's sake, or for purpose of this conversation, I know retailers like I've bought gift cards at CVS, for example, up here in New York. And you basically have to read this disclosure saying that you haven't been coerced into buying this gift card. And right. it seems like that's very much in line with this case that you're on. And I think it's like anything else. If it sounds too good to be true or it sounds uncomfortable, better yet, hang up the phone and do a little bit more research, especially before giving any information that might be harmful that could be used against you or definitely not sending them money, right? Because uh, that's ultimately what their goal is in most cases, I would imagine. And I would tell your listeners who I think if they're listening to this podcast, they're interested in money and they're interested in, in money matters, obviously. 
understand this. The federal government is very old school in how they work. (laughs) They are not going to call you up and ask for a Target gift card to pay your taxes. Now, believe it or not, there's a large swath of the population that is above, let's say, the age of 70 that is much more trusting. They're from an older generation where they answer the phone when the phone rings and they'll talk to somebody that's calling. And especially during COVID, the pandemic was really, it was gasoline on the fire for these scammers because there were a lot of folks who were cut off from that interaction with their sons and daughters and their grandchildren. And so they were much more trusting and they were much more prone to be alone and to receive these sort of phone calls and be taken advantage of. But there is also a group within the population that is, let's say, this younger generation, teenagers, people in their 20s that have grown up with a cell phone in their hands. They've grown up with access to technology that I'm a Gen Xer I didn't grow up with. And so the idea of Venmoing the government money or sending a, <laughs> a, you know, a PayPal, it might be possible to this generation of kids that grew up with that sort of instant access to technology. They're not accustomed to the IRS is going to send you a letter and there's going to be a process and you have to call them. They don't call you. And so there was a large gap where those folks were falling for this as well as the elderly folks. Yeah, that's crazy. But it, they're good at what they do. That's why they get away with it, you know, and that's why. We need folks like you kind of monitoring it and snuffing these people out, I guess, so to speak. So, sure. Yeah, I want to pivot for a few minutes. You talk about having a sheepdog mindset. Yeah. Can you share with our listeners what is that about and how you can use that? Yeah. So, in my years of law enforcement, and my wife will tell you that this is something that she notices about me and my kids notice about me. Whenever I walk into a room, I probably act differently than a lot of folks do. I walk into a room, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a bank, whether it's a grocery store, and my instant positioning is to take in as much as I can to observe everything that I'm seeing. And what that comes from is this principle that is known in law enforcement and military circles as the OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, act. And so it's a process by which we observe and take in everything. We orient, we try to take that raw data and figure out what it means. So we're looking as we walk into a room very rapidly and scanning to see the interactions between customers and staff. Where are the exits? Where is egress? What's barricade? Where could you put yourself if there was an incident you needed to get your family out of there? How would you exit? And those things are kind of built into the process of training for a law enforcement job or training in the military. And you just kind of observe, you orient, and then you take in that raw data, and then you have a plan to act if you need to. And it just happens with uh, after 15 plus years of doing it very naturally for me. Right. But it's something that you can practice and you can create that sort of sheepdog mindset by whenever you go into a room doing what we call a threshold check. You're crossing a threshold, put your phone down, look up, take in what's going on around you, recognize that there are people, there are things, there are items and things that are happening and start recognizing where are the exits? Where can I go? How how do I keep my family safe if I have to? And you start practicing that, it becomes second nature. So for most people, we stare at our phones all day and we walk in, we're waiting in line at the bank and we're staring at our phones and we don't ever recognize or realize the argument that's happening three feet away from us between a teller and an individual. People who have been in law enforcement, people who have been in the military, take that in and recognize that. They're scanning for threats all the time. They're in kind of a ready position. And so my wife's picked up on that over the years. My kids have picked up on that. And it's something that I kind of tried to cultivate and teach to other people. Where's the reference to the sheepdog component of the mindset? What is there some correlation there between the sheepdog? Think of it this way. There's millions of people in this world, right? And the herd, the greater portion, let's say 80% of them are, are just going along to get along. Those are the sheep. Those are the folks that are just kind of going through their day-to-day life, staring at their phone and just letting life happen to them. 
And there's a certain percentage, maybe 10% of them that are wolves. They're looking to take advantage of those sheep. And I want you and I want your listeners to be among that 10% that are watching out for the sheep. Sure. That are walking in, that are the sheep dog, that are looking out for the wolves and that are looking for the threats and that are going to protect others. And I think we kind of live in an 80-20 world, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But full disclosure, one of the things I do, I'm probably in between what a normal person would do and where you are because I don't have the training that you have. But for instance, when I'm in New York City, if I'm with my family, I am at all times very well aware of who's in front of me, who's behind me, and who's on the sides of me. Absolutely. So much so that my wife, like yours, will say, what's going on? Are you not paying attention? I'm like, oh, I'm paying attention. I'm like, there's a guy walking 10 feet behind us, and he's been there for the last three blocks, and I'm waiting for him to make a turn. And I'm keeping an eye on them, you know, and we were in a situation not too long ago where we were walking down the street and there was a guy who was homeless on the street and he visibly had probably a six inch knife out and he was like plucking at the sewer grate. And I was very well aware that he was there and that I saw the knife and we were walking and every like 10 or 20 feet, 10 or 15 feet, I was taking a glance over my shoulder just to make sure that he wasn't following us for obvious reasons. And she's like, is everything okay? I'm like, did you see the guy? She saw the guy, didn't see the knife. So you have to be aware of your situations and your surroundings. And I think that's what you're kind of referencing to. I'm sure I'm not doing it to the level that you're at because I don't have that training. But at the same time, I think that all people would benefit from being a little bit more aware. And you have to be more aware than at certain times than others, I would imagine, too. There are certain instances and situations that you want to be on a higher level of alert, perhaps, than others as well. Absolutely. I think one thing that for me is I go to a sporting event, I go to a concert, I go to something where there's going to be a large crowd of people. And I think to myself, these are the sort of events that have been targeted in the past and will continue to be in the future because they're high potential, high casualty events. So if you choose to put yourself in those situations, which we all do, because to be honest, you know, we want to live life and enjoy Otherwise life. you're giving but, in, right? Yeah, but there's a hypervigilance that goes with that. And so for me, and this is something, again, that drives my wife crazy, but if we're going to get seats at a concert or a sporting event, we're sitting on the end of a row. We're not <laughs> sitting. And she's like, people are going to be walking past us constantly. I don't care. I want to right. be able to get my family out of there quickly and, and do what I have to do to be their first responder. So for me, everything is about being my family's first responder and being there to protect them. And I want more dads, especially more men, more fathers to kind of take on that sort of hypervigilance and recognize that it's up to you to be that for your family. No one, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Right. And so if you can be aware of what your surroundings are dictating, you can control that setting a little bit better and you can put yourself in the tactical advantage. So that that's kind of where my head goes. Absolutely. So I guess I have another reason that I never even realized why I always wanted the aisle seat. It didn't have to do only with the fact that I'm so tall and I like the leg room. No. I, I want to have that easy out too. So for sure, uh, yeah. you know, I could double down on that for sure. Yep. So. What I want to do is now talk about the relevance here between business owners and entrepreneurs and how the secure entrepreneur plays into that and works with them. What are some of the major areas that business owners and entrepreneurs in particular are exposed to potential fraud? I tell people, especially online entrepreneurs, because that's where a lot of my clients and a lot of people that I work with operate in the online space. My wife has a business that is almost exclusively online. I tell people, the more you are involved in the marketplace, the more your exposure to fraud is, the greater your exposure to fraud. So whether that's advertising and putting stuff out there on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or marketing, you are giving information away, right? You are showing a little bit about how your business operates and who you are. 
whenever you're on social media, you're putting stuff about yourself out there into the public realm. So it's recognizing that you're trying to call in your clients, but you're also, by necessity of marketing and advertising and being in the online market space, you're drawing in people who want to take advantage of you as well. So it's adopting a certain vigilance about how you interact with people and who you interact with, recognizing that you can put information out there that is good for your business without putting information out there that makes you easier to exploit. Right. So I guess the key is to find that balance where you're able to market and do the business you want to do without making yourself overly vulnerable to a potential bad actor at that point. Absolutely. And we talk about essentially there's a whole bunch of different ways to look at this from a military or law enforcement perspective. But again, situational awareness, we come back to that. But we also talk about operational security a lot when I talk to my clients and the businesses that I work with. And that means putting out the proper amount of information without putting out things that make you vulnerable. So it's recognizing what the threats are, recognizing what your vulnerabilities are, and then doing your best to mitigate that risk. And that's kind of where I come in and and talk to folks and help them recognize like, okay, you can do this, but maybe don't do that. You can work in this way, but back this off a little bit. So if I'm an online business, right? If I'm an online business, I'm selling whatever products or services to the public, you're saying inherently there's a level of risk there. What risks are really there? I mean, is it more along the lines of the risk of the banking transaction? Is it the risk of my banking relationship? What is the risk that if I'm an online seller selling something to somebody on the other end, what is the potential outcome that could be negative that a bad actor could reap against me? Yeah. So as I said before, with regards to how most scammers operate, they they operate more from a position of psychology than a position of technology. And so that means, so when you're selling something to someone, obviously you're looking to build rapport. You're trying to find that common ground. You're trying to get someone to trust you, to know, like, and trust you. And then they're going to buy from you if they know, like, and trust you. And the same is true of somebody who's trying to separate your money from you for you know another reason. And not because they're selling you something, because they're selling you a lemon. And so The things that you put out into your social media and that you put out into the world can be exploited, can be used against you. So when you're putting out details about your life, details about your kids, details about what goes on in your household, where you are, you're on vacation, you're doing things, what kind of car you drive, all of those things are little bits of information that somebody watching your social media, whether it's somebody who you are trying to get to know, like, and trust you so they'll buy from you, or somebody who wants to get to know you so that they can get you under the ether to take something from you, they're all reading those signs. So recognizing and being careful about what you put out and when you put it out is important. So there's nothing really inherently wrong. There's nothing that's going to happen with that transaction per se. It's just that they're going to use the information that you're putting out there in order to develop a a case study, if you will, to come after you for a larger gain, of course, in that regard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of folks, I think the cold DMs and things like that, where people are getting, you know, hey, buy followers or this, or the other thing, most people recognize that for what it is, that that's, that's a scam. And most people are not falling for those things. But somebody who comes to you or comes at you as if they may be a customer or a future customer, because they've developed that sense of who you are, that's who the real threat is. Right. So, I mean, we're all so social media driven. We're all all over there for the most part. I think you have some people who pay attention to what they're putting out there and are maybe a little bit more careful. Some people have their profile locked down completely and others are just putting out everything and anything out there. I mean, are there specific things that people could do if you have, you know, if you are a business owner or an entrepreneur, are there things where there is the happy medium between 
being social in terms of social media world and not giving out the information that could potentially be used against you? Or you basically have to run that risk if you're going to be in that world, kind of, so to speak. Yeah. And entrepreneurs tend to be a little bit more willing to accept risk. You wouldn't be in business or entrepreneurship if you weren't a risk taker. That's an inherently risky activity. You should be aware of the risk that you're taking though, right? So I look at something as simple as when you're going out to dinner with your family, not tagging the restaurant that you're in or not putting it out there that I'm at this place because anybody who's watching you and wants to take advantage of your situation knows you're not home right now (laughs) when you check in from a certain place at a certain time. So if they know where you live or they have a sense of where you live, that's a great time to exploit the fact that you're not there, not listing your children's names or full names or putting your family connections necessarily on Facebook, because that's how those grandson in jail scams tend to happen. That's how Mm -hmm. those sort of things get exploited, because a lot of the folks are baby boomer generation that's online is a little bit less vigilant about that sort of stuff. And they put information out there into the world that folks then use to psychologically convince them that they need to send money to somebody or, 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 you know, take care of their grandson, Billy, who's allegedly in jail when Billy is safe in his dorm room. So it really comes out to striking that balance of knowing who your audience is, first of all, and then not doing the things that can leave you vulnerable. Right. So what I'm hearing is there's really no way, right? And correct me if I'm wrong. There's really no way to truly secure and prevent fraud in your business or life. It's really just doing as much as you can, kind of hoping for the best and being preventative in your approach or when people approach you, I guess, being cognizant of what's going on and why they're really approaching you and what their intent is. Yeah, vigilance is your best weapon. Other than getting off of the internet entirely, if you're going to engage in social media and you're going to engage in the online marketplace, you're going to put yourself at a certain degree of risk. There is no way to completely eliminate risk. There are only ways to mitigate risk. And you mitigate risk by being more vigilant, by recognizing what people are likely to take advantage of and not giving them the opportunity to take advantage of it. And psychologically, with these telefraud cases, if you're a baseball fan or your listeners are baseball fans, anybody who's batting 300 is probably an all-star. <laughs> and you get enough hacks at the, at the ball and you're going to hit some. And that's what it is. It's a numbers game for these guys, right? So they're going to send out million emails that say, hey, this is from PayPal and this was a suspicious transaction. And there's going to be a certain amount of people in our population who's going to click on that embedded link and think that they are the information that they're giving is going to PayPal, when in reality, it's going to somebody who's going to register a credit card in your name. It's going to pay else. your pal. <laughs> exactly. Who's yes. not your pal. Who's not your pal. <laughs> so you've got, you know, you've got a certain percentage of the population that's going to fall for that, a certain percentage of the population that's going to get exploited by that telephone call that's going to fall for the grandson in jail scam. Right now, with everything that's happening in Europe and everything that's happening in Ukraine, there are a boatload whenever there is a, I would say, a, a hurricane. You probably saw this in New York with Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. There were thousands of scams that popped up where people naturally, emotionally want to help when there is right. something happening in the world that they can help with. And people will go and donate to something that they think is a legitimate charity and it isn't because they don't pump the brake. So, so much of this and what I try to explain to people is not technology, it's your psychology. Mm -hmm. They're preying on the fact that you as a standard emotional person want to do the right thing. You want to get your grandson out of jail. You want to be right with the government. You don't want to go to jail. And so they lean heavily into that. And any information that you put out there on your social media profile that helps them find that edge with you psychologically is going to be used against you. Yeah, absolutely. So I got to ask you, how have you found the shift from special agent to entrepreneur? How's that working? 
It's different. I started in the entrepreneur game while I was still an agent. As I think I mentioned earlier, my wife and I founded a, a company about a decade ago. We were both triathletes. I was a, an Ironman triathlete for a number of years, and, and we both raced, uh, I think, between the two of us, about a dozen Ironmans. So, have you ever um, done the Ironman in Lake Placid? No, it's on my bucket list. Okay. Uh, I, have a pl- I have a place there, and I oh, know okay. it's one of the most more well-known yes. races, that in Hawaii. Have you done Hawaii? I've done Texas three times, Cozumel twice, and North Carolina once. Okay. Um, so I've mostly raced local to where I am, except for North Carolina. That was kind of a bucket list as well. But Placid's on the list, and obviously the one you know, the world championship someday. But You better yeah, start we, working on Placid, because my understanding <laughs> is I know they just extended it, but there's been some pushback in the community there as to whether or not they want to continue Oh goodness! Hosting the event because it's a bit of a strain on the community there when uh, Very much. during that week or so you drop two thousand people on any small town and, and it's going to. I be, think the population's yeah. like two three thousand people right. only. You know, so it, it has an effect for sure. Our business actually kind of swung out of our hobby, which was which was racing marathons and Ironmans, and so we started coaching. And we opened our own personal training studio. So I did all of this while I was a special agent because it was. Not a conflict of interest for me to be in the health and fitness industry at the same time I was doing, it was actually stress relief for me as I was doing that other job. And her, you know, fortunately her business, she's been kind of the face of it. And I've been the silent partner. I'm the numbers guy. I'm the spreadsheet guy. And, And it's really taken off in the last couple of years. And it gave us the freedom to make that business something that was full time that I could step into as an executive in that business. So the transition for me was probably less jarring than it is for a lot of people because I had one foot out the door for a number of years before right. I finally made it full time. But it has been, I guess, one thing that's just been incredible about it that makes me wish I had done it sooner is the amount of time I have for my children right now and how present I get to be at breakfast and dinner. And I'm not spending 16 hours a day in court. Right. I'm at home. Yeah. You can't put a price tag on that. It's incredible. Absolutely not. And enjoy every minute because it goes so quick. Mine are 16 and 19 right now. And yeah, it flew by in a flash. Absolutely. So what's up next for Christopher Healy? What's the next big thing for you? Right now, I've been kind of leaning into the creative and what the sort of things that I wasn't really able to work on and do in the course of my career as a special agent. So I've started a podcast. And so I've been working on interviewing interesting folks that I think have great stories that can help folks become better dads, husbands, fathers, businessmen, and have been working on getting that out into the world. And mostly right now, just doing everything that I can to get in front of people and teach a proactive message about how you can reduce your risk and better your financial profile by reducing your risk to these sorts of frauds and scams. And I understand you have a big thing that released recently. If you could tell our listeners about that, about the case that you cracked in uh, the the India and the bad actors, the the telefraud scam, rather. Yeah, anyone who's ever gotten a call from one of these government impersonations schemers is going to love this story. Essentially, the case that we made, after we made this case, it was the largest telefraud case in U.S. history. Over $300 million in loss over three years by American citizens. And, you know, my team that took them down, every single person that we arrested was sentenced and many of them got max sentences. Some of them got 20 years in jail. So we flew all the way to Singapore, actually, to bring one of these guys back, the godfather of the scam. We actually went all the way to Singapore to arrest him and bring him back to the U.S. So my team kind of went all out. And that caught the attention of Campside Media, which is one of the large podcast producers that does true crime stuff. And so they reached out to the Department of Justice and said, we'd really like to tell this story. We think that 
It will let people know what's out there and, and what the government's doing to try to stop these scams. And, and they turned it into an eight-part serial podcast called Just Hang Up. And so, yeah, I would definitely encourage your listeners to check that out if they haven't already. Yeah, amazing. I'm going to have to check that out because yeah. I'm sure it's uh, right up my alley because I love the Catch a Smuggler. So it's probably it, very similar, just the audio version. It's the audio version. And from what I recorded, the portions that I was involved in and kind of telling the story from the perspective of the agents who investigated it. And I, from what I know of the prosecutors who were, who were interviewed, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great story. You're going to enjoy it. Great. Sounds good. So Listen, we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question, which is, Christopher, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? This is the Midland Money Mindset, so we have to yeah. talk about mindset for a minute. So what did you do today? I had a great conversation with a friend of mine. So I'm an, an adoptive dad. So I have my two little girls. We adopted internationally. And one of my buddies up in Alaska has adopted five times. And we had a great wow. phone call today. And we talked a lot about our faith and a lot about our families. And so I'm kind of walking on clouds because I haven't talked to him in a while. And it was great to have that conversation and, and just kind of set the timer aside and just jammed out for a while with a buddy of mine. So that gave me a great deal of joy. Amazing. Amazing. So Listen, we're going to have all your information in the show notes, but if people want to find you, Christopher, what's the easiest place for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. If you look me up, I'm on Instagram at the secure entrepreneur. And uh, my website is secure-entrepreneur.com. It's going to be in the show notes. But if you want to work with me, if you're an online small business owner or an online entrepreneur, and you want to know how I can protect your business or help your business reduce its, uh, its, its risk of fraud, I'm happy to talk to you. Come look me up. Thank you so much, Christopher. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you and make it a great day. Thanks so much for having me. I want to thank Christopher Healy for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Christopher has taken his success serving our country and created an entrepreneurial venture that will allow him to continue to help and serve others. There are simple things we can all be doing to help secure ourselves from bad actors. I hope you, like me, are taking away some easy things that we can implement today. Christopher and the Secure Entrepreneur can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.